Hey, how's it going, Champagne Sharks? Hope everyone's doing well. Just wanted to uh, do some quick house cleaning, let people know. Go to ChampagneSharks.com and you get access to all the links related to Champagne Sharks. You can go there and find it all. And you can find where we are on social media, our products, all that stuff. Also, Patreon benefits, which includes Discord server, book club night, movie night discussions, show notes, newsletter, and most importantly, bonus episodes. So definitely become a patron for $5 a month at patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. And without further ado, here is the episode. Take care. So I'm just going to jump right into it. Uh, we have the luminaries from Struggle Session joining us to talk about the boys. This is part of a series that we're going to do about uh, the Emmys, right? Where we're going to talk about different things nominated for Emmys 2021, a different thing with each guest. And this one is going to be about the boys. And um, I'm mainly doing this because I want an excuse to actually watch a new TV. So I figured, <laughs> let me get, because a lot of times when I watch a lot of new TV shows that people buzz about, um, I get disappointed a lot. So I told myself I don't sure. want to watch anything unless... Um, you know, it's nominated for something and it's actually has some level of staying power. So, but the boys was one exception. The boys actually had already watched before the Emmy season. And I watched it partially because of uh, Leslie, because Leslie, I had no desire to watch the boys, no matter how many good things I heard about it, because I tried the comic and it was mm. such mm. a bad taste in sure, my mouth. Sure, mm. sure. Yeah. I just did not like it. Even the stuff, of Garth Ennis' stuff I do like over a long enough timeline it turns me off because it gets too much gratuitous <laughs> edginess so it's like doesn't even always age like, well yeah. yeah yeah even things like Preacher that I like at first I like I like this but there's too much misanthropy and just general like just hatred of humankind I feel like in a lot of this like this is a type of uh, irredeemable nastiness if I follow any of his series for too long but uh, impressively the boys I just hate it from the beginning like like there was no positive <laughs> start and then with time I'm like oh, okay this is like even Punisher Mac or, or the Punisher stuff it took me like 50 issues or more to finally be like you know oh, maybe I've yeah. had enough of this like five pages of the boys you know <laughs> he, he has like a dog rape another dog for laughs <laughs> And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. And and that's and that's my relationship to the boys. But Leslie Lee said, uh, I know the comic sucks. Don't think about the comic and you'll enjoy this. So I'm like, okay, someone who actually acknowledges a comic sucks is uh, saying this is good. So I got to say you were right, Leslie. That's the end of my ah. intro. I was really wowed by it. It was basically what a Watchmen adaptation should have been. It was mm -hmm. closer to the actual Adam Moore Watchmen than any of the official Watchmen adaptations than it was to um, the boys comic, I thought. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly, like, in terms of, like, themes uh, and getting across the ideas of Watchmen, I would absolutely agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's almost a disappointment to even call the thing The Boys. Like, it's just so much better than uh, The Boys. I hate that Garth Ennis is being, like, rewarded by this great adaptation <laughs> that he totally did not earn. I just wish they called it, like, something else, you know, and just change enough of it to justify it being an original <laughs> property. You know what you I mean? Know, you know that fucking thing where someone's like, man, I don't like Loki it's bullshit and someone says who hurt you i in very much seriousness i think that with every single garth ennis comic i'm like who hurt you and the answer is he grew up in uh northern england under thatcher that that's what the fuck's 
going on. So I'm a little more, and I agree. I, I totally agree with you, which is it's sort of nastiness for the sake of nastiness. There's a lot of misanthropy. It's edgelord kind of dead baby humor. Like we all probably thought uh-huh. was like fantastic at 13. Um, if you break it down, I think this is a very traumatized, very, um, you know, as we say now, doomer and black pilled man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's my opinion. Yeah, of, he's of, doomer I, I feel and, like, I feel like Gandalf talking about Gollum. <laughs> like he's, 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 he's doomer and black kind of like a nineties Eminem kind of humor yeah. to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, Oh, how funny it is to watch like butt fucking happen. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's weird. He's like, Doomer and Black Pill, but he's not even like the modern Doomer and Black Pill, where it's like, yeah, I just have this depressed looking Wojak as my avatar. Like, he has that <laughs> mask, that laughing mask, where like I'm crying, but I'm wearing yeah. the laughing mask. He's that type of uh, he is. Edgy, edgy <laughs> Doomer, where it's like, oh, I'm not uh, Black Pill. I'm actually having a time in my life. Maybe you're yeah, miserable. You're triggered by this? This is triggering you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's, he's that dude. <laughs> What if a fat man got stuck on a toilet and shit himself and then he died? (laughs) Are you triggered? It's actually really funny. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, But I do agree. The show show really goes so much further than, uh, than, than what Ennis was doing in the comic. We didn't get a chance to bring this up on uh, when we were doing our Suicide Squad episode, but um, my my partner's in the same boat as you, Trevor. He's been uh, rewatching it, and um, you know, so I've been kind of like kind of half watching it, and I was like, "This is what Suicide Squad wants to be, and it's <laughs> not." Um, yeah. And I really do think, in terms of kind of I don't know, blah blah blah, ethical consumerism under capitalism. Um, but I do think, in terms of really critiquing, I think. Um, the military institution, the mm-hmm. idolation of superheroes and stuff. The Boys does this really, really well. What I kind of appreciate is it does kind of keep a lot of the kind of guffaw and shocking humor of the comic, but it doesn't rest its laurels on that. It really wants to tell a story. I think we've talked about this a few times. We brought up the boys. All the characters are really good. And I said this about, I was looking at my old posts on Homelander, but I always say this. I say like, um, you could have just made him the most, just evil like Ramsey Snow from Game of Thrones motherfucker. You could have just done that. He's evil yeah. and he eats babies and shit. And they make him such a good character. Mm-hmm. Like, um, And I, I always think, I'm like, they didn't have to do that, but they did. Yeah. <laughs> that always makes me really happy. Happy. They made him so much weirder than mm. he needs to be, and even like weirder <laughs> than he is in the like. They really do a smart job of like getting into his like pathos, you know. Which again, I feel like is yeah, like uh, almost unnecessary, but done very well. Did, did anybody reach the end of the boys comic? Because I never did, and I always no, wondered if some I'm, of the better stuff came later. Man, I, I read have, a lot of it for sure. Yeah. I, I feel like I might have gotten to the end of it, but I but I also just don't I really did. recall. I held on a little bit longer. Longer than you. I think I tapped out around either, I mean, spoilers for the boys, either Love Sausage or Huey getting sexually assaulted by, um, oh God, Black Noir. Yeah. I don't, it became this part where I just got tired. I was like, I I'm, I don't know, man. Like, I'm, I'm an adult. I'm a respectable 
23 year old <laughs> i don't think but fucking is that funny as you do mr ennis sir <laughs> i mean a lot of that was the era too like i just feel yeah. like the 2000s was a post everything that's why everyone keeps getting canceled for like 2009 and 2014 posts because mm-hmm. i feel like there was still like you know, some leftover of that i feel like 2014 was like the great awakening and everything before yes. then is like, yeah it's all like uh fair game you know so it's like there was a lot of that i remember like i was re-watching the boondocks and there's like the uh booty bandit and i'm like wow this does not age <laughs> well <laughs> like it's just you know yeah it's like that would never fly today and i feel like and this was bad even for back then you know so mm-hmm. i can i can imagine but i stopped at the love sausage thing I, as well is love sausage the guy who like the whole joke is he looks like santa claus but he just has like a huge penis and like a giant yeah. dick, dick print that, yeah that's the joke He's yeah. Russian and he has a big penis. <laughs> yeah, and I could have taken it as like a one-off, like Family Guy type of gag, but they—he really was impressed with his own. That's the other thing. I feel like he's <laughs> laughing at his own. You can hear him giggling as you read a lot of times. Like, yes. you, can, you can almost audibly hear him like tittering. Is that what it's called? Tittering, that the little type of giggle you do when you read oh, these. Oh, tittering, yeah. Oh, I'm so naughty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And he got the weirdest origin story too. When I read his interviews, like basically like i'm like okay this thing about hating superheroes he doesn't even seem like someone could say like hey alan moore has like a uh could argue some kind of hatred for superheroes i don't think he does i just think he um doesn't think they should be elevated beyond like you know what they are and stuff but he has a coherent kind of you know argument about how he thinks they kind of validate or you know whitewash a lot of the worst aspects of american vigilanteism and whatever i'm like you can right. agree with it or not agree with it but there's like a thoughtful critique but one day i was just really curious like why does garth ennis hate superheroes so much you know and i read and basically he grew up reading like 2000 ad and uh-huh. he was weirdly like competitive or jealous that american superhero comics were getting so much love and his oh i remember i think i read this too yeah 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 his beloved like british comics he felt were being treated like second bananas so, uh, so he he hates them for the honor of of judge dread yeah yeah it's like the, the dumbest <laughs> thing i'm like okay that's why like there's not really any commentary outside of uh-huh, isn't this kind of gay you know like you know uh, <laughs> which i feel like is, is the whole kind of thing he has like oh superheroes are for babies and they also uh, they're kind of gay you know like uh, that seems to be his yeah. whole his whole thing about it and they interviewed like okay so that makes a lot of sense why it's so juvenile his his critique of superheroes because he kind of formed this as a kid yeah that makes sense yeah it's all kind of comes from this idea of like hey isn't it a little weird that batman hangs out with a kid all the time you know yeah that, that of type of yeah. like, you know silly silly stuff you know and, and because you know we're talking about cancellation i'm just making it clear i don't think there's anything wrong with superheroes being gay i'm saying that that's the tone of ennis's work that there's a lot Can- of little casual homophobia Peppered throughout Can the I share thing. something really interesting with you? I saw this on a different video about comics, but um, the uh, what was the name? They like basically made sure comics couldn't have boobies or smoking the or comics anything. code. The comics code, um, I believe, and I'm partially like misquoting this here. But when they were trying to be like the comics code is important, they actually cited Batman and Robin, and they said, "Yo, it's really creepy. A man lives with a boy." Which I mean, I get it, like yuck 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 but if you want to really break it down it's like no dude like batman took in this orphaned kid and like and he, yeah. Yeah, and he loves him as his own son and you're gonna be like yeah. her or her like i don't yeah. know that's that's a you problem sir <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, have a, I have a slightly different take i think it 
he was right that it was gay, but I think I don't think it was intentionally gay. I think they accidentally stumbled on something really gay. And I think they should have just left it alone, gay or not. Like, like, like I actually think there was some. I used to think like you until I started reading some old Golden Age Batman. There's some weird stuff in there. Like they share a bed, <laughs> and they talk about like you know lots of weird stuff. But I don't think it was intentional. I think they just didn't really think about what they're doing. They just created a house full of men. I mean, they, that's they, the other thing is that, like, yes. especially early comics creators, they were like, no one's ever going to read any of this fucking bullshit. It's for eight-year-olds, and it's going to yeah. get, like, used as, like, fire kindling when the kid's done reading it. You know what I mean? Like, that's another element, especially exactly. of old comics, that they were like, these are the most disposable artwork, and they didn't expect that they'd be, like, Collected. reprinted forever yeah, and exactly. fucking Smithsonian and all this shit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, like, I I don't think it was ever intentionally gay. And I also think even if it was intentionally gay, like, you know, so what, you know? But, uh, yeah. yeah, but it, it is kind of funny. Like, <laughs> there was weird, weird stuff in there. People compile it uh, online. I mean, they're definitely the like, you know, all the superheroes are definitely in like fetish gear, which Alan Moore touches on quite a lot. And yeah. actually, the boys touches on quite a lot too. Like, yeah, yeah, like these are fucking weirdos wearing skin tight, like leather outfits, like Dom, Dom outfits, pretty much. No, I totally, I totally agree. But yet the TV show, like from the beginning, I think is pretty well oiled. I really like how it just has the tone from the beginning. It kind of makes it clear that it's, you know, pretty early on, you could tell it's not going to be Ennis's like edgelord shit. Like Ennis puts the edgelord shit right away. He just cannot, mm-hmm. uh, you know, wait to wait to put it in and everything. And here's the thing I really can't stand to. In general, I don't like Gen X UK creators that much. I know and this is technically he's not British. He's from the UK, but he's uh Irish. Uh Leslie corrected me on that. But one thing all those Gen X UK creators used to do that I used to really kinda hate. And Alan Moore himself didn't really do this. Uh and he's a boomer, but the Gen X ones they love to do this. Uh is this kind of smug pleased with themselves that they do and they use a british character as the mouthpiece of it whether it's jenny sparks <laughs> yes. the authority uh. or um in in next wave like i really enjoyed next wave but i could not stand uh elsa blood elsa what's the name bloodstone oh god like here's my thing i mean mm-hmm. i i mean and i guess like objectively like a bunch of shit came out last year like ellis is uh i mean if not like a creep to serve sort of disrespectful to women yeah um but even then when i even at the height where i loved ellis like i remember that i was like i just was like oh it's so self-indulgent and also yeah. like apologies for saying um Ennis was northern um England when he's actually um Irish I'm growing I'm learning <laughs> I made the same mistake so don't don't worry <laughs> I don't know I'm just like a UK person who was brutalized by Thatcher regime <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but totally I mean I was looking at uh I mean there was Elsa Bloodstone in Next Wave. I really enjoyed the book, but she had all the great one-liners. She's always above the fray and looking down on everybody and superior. Well, the Americans are just a bunch of dummies and everything. And a trans metropolitan. Like, there's always this, like, uh, right. usually chain smoke, King Mob and the Invisibles. Yeah, this kind of person where it's like, I'm just I mean, here to King be. King Mob cool. is about as much an author insert as like, yes. could exist. You know exactly. what I mean? <laughs> he does like tantric, he does like tantric sex and has the perfect Oscar <laughs> no, Wilde ish bon mot for every single <laughs> situation. Hey, he, hey, I did. 
Well, I do want to mention Alan Moore does have a self-insert in Jerusalem, but every time he's describing this person, it's it's like negative. It's like it's very it's funny. Cre- yeah, he says it, that she has she says she has more rings under her eyes than on her fingers, <laughs> and like sunken eyes and like pale skin and shit. It's and great. all and it's incredibly manipulative. <laughs> he's so negative about his self-insert. Yeah, and. And um, Morrison from the beginning, his claim to fame was self-insert, like you know that Animal Man thing. And mm. you know, I read Animal Man like later. I think if I read it as a teenager, I would have probably been a total sucker for it. And I like it, but the end when he brings in himself, the writer, and he just yeah. has all these cool <laughs> lines, and he's just like, <laughs> the the most Oscar Wildish perfect answer to everything. And I was like, get the fuck out of here! I was so enjoying this until you put this in there, and I feel like. Uh, Bill the Butcher is just another one of those characters. He's always yeah. has the yeah. perfect shit-eating grin. He's always <laughs> doing all this stuff. And I like Carl Urban's TV version so much better. Oh, yeah. I There's a vulnerability, agree. yeah. Yeah, no, I was going to say the vulnerability and also the fact that he gets, like, called out. Not directly, but even the shit in the season. His wife's yeah. just like, no, like, I didn't trust you. I was literally raped, and I knew you'd make it worse. Yeah. Um, and I really do like that even though he's walking around like, I don't know, he just, oh, he's massaging. Oh, you cunt, you wanker, <laughs> you man who might have the audacity to have sex with another man, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Uh, um, in those moments, like he's not infallible, and I really love that they've humanized somebody yeah. who you're absolutely right is just basically like, "Oh, British people, cool." <laughs> yeah, my dog rapes other dogs. You know, fuck you. Isn't that cool? I hate superheroes. <laughs> fuck you. You know, like I- I'm yeah. always grinning all the time with a shit eating grin. Like it's like, uh, you know, it's, like, it's so like <laughs> annoying. There's so many of those characters by Gen X UK. Uh, people and I, and I like that they they kept him cool and and able to be rooted for, but were not having everything in the tank for him all the time to be the snarkiest, right. coolest guy in the room. In fact, he like Emma said had a lot of foibles that they uh, called attention to, and it made him more it made him more likable to me for him not to be so perfect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree, especially I think in this second season, um, they do make him like a lot more flawed and a lot less invincible. And I think it's a far richer character. I also think that, you know, just the portrayal by Carl Urban, who is a very solid actor, you know, for a big, beefy guy, you know what I mean? Like he, <laughs> he does bring a lot of humanity to, to that uh, Bill the Butcher character. One thing I like about Carl Urban, that guy is an example of someone who. I feel like always brings his A game no matter what it is. Like he will yeah. treat any role like, you know, this could be an Oscar nominated role. Like it's kind of funny because even that JJ uh, Abrams, like Star Trek, he's like really trying to act. So oh, yeah, I love him. Yes. I love him as McCoy. I know. I know. Yeah. We're like, um, I know like a lot of people like shit on the JJ Abrams films. And like I said, I, I try to be objective to help with my borderline personality disorder from running <laughs> rampant. Um, but no, I absolutely love him as McCoy. No, I agree. He's, he's, good he's just a good actor nothing you're right like nothing's ever like you know like beneath him he he puts his heart and soul into every single one of his roles and what i love is um he just he kind of blends in perfectly too like i don't think i'd be watching something and be like yeah that's carl urban you know what i mean he's yeah, just always playing and, himself you know he just really he's a journeyman in. actor like he, he is. really is just like he's just like trying to do what's best for the piece mm-hmm. he's not like necessarily like 
trying to take all the attention or whatever. I feel like, yeah, again, I, I even though I don't like the JJ Star Treks, I kind of do like his McCoy. And I think he does a good job of kind of just, you know, blending into the background when necessary, you know? <laughs> the first time I saw him was in uh, Xena Warrior Princess where he plays Caesar. And yes! Oh, arm. that was him! <laughs> I forgot that was him. And now that you say it, you're right. He was clean shaven, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I forgot. He that. was also um a fuck fuck the two um um f- so Lord of the Rings two towers and there's the horse I call them the horse siblings you know what I'm talking about <laughs> yeah so not the girl the the her brother that's Carl Urban but same thing like I look back I'm like holy shit that was Carl Urban <laughs> yeah you know it's funny good. he's man. in like, like the city of men yeah you yeah. know it's funny we've created a term it's not an original observation other people have said it but we created a term for people acting then we call it like character acting but that's just what acting's supposed to be like you're not actually I know, that's supposed to be what it yourself. is yeah. What, yeah what is it the fucking kids say now he understood the assignment <laughs> <laughs> yeah like the bare minimum now is like amazing like wait he actually is an actor who tries to act yeah. like different people wow like, we need yeah. to get that special name that's a, that's a character he's not just actor. being himself every time yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but he's he's pretty good i like oh this is another thing that Garth Ennis, I think, does a lot that I think is weird. My psychoanalyzing of Garth Ennis, because like I read a lot of his stuff at once, and I've formed like a theory of Garth Ennis, right? I feel mm-hmm. like he is afraid that he's little Huey, so he tries to overcompensate and create this image that he's the Build-A-Butcher. So I feel like <laughs> everything that he does has these two people that I think are... Like his two false. Damn. This is total psychoanalysis of yeah. that armchair analysis that you should never do. It's horrible. This is yeah. beautiful. It's it's Jordan Peterson shit. Oh <laughs> yeah, Doctor Hughes wants to be yeah, little, yeah. little Billy Butcher, but instead the chaotic dragon makes him little <laughs> Huey. <laughs> yeah, it's totally free. Uh, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. <laughs> Yeah, it's totally like you know Freudian, Jungian, whatever you know Jordan Peterson. But I everything he has has some like weak, sniveling character who <laughs> just is getting treated like shit, and he deserves it for being so weak. And then some super polar opposite uh, misanthrope who is just the coolest yeah. guy in town. Mm-hmm. Like there's Soap and Punisher in the yes, I was saying that thing. yeah. Uh, there's a what's his name like there's a guy in preacher i forget who it is who's always just is it ass or arse face always getting like yes indignities like throwing and i think like little huey has like a lot of that so yeah so yeah they have he has two things he has the infallible like badass um misanthrope and then the nice guy who just keeps getting shitted on and in, in huey's case like raped and i feel like the boy show corrects both of those by making huey less of a total, like, you know, um, subjugated, like, um, weakling and Butcher being a total, like, infallible, biggest badass in the room at all times uh, right. guy. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, and I do think you're, yeah, I think, you know, I think your, your psychoanalysis is right on the money. You know, I, well, I, I would, I wouldn't also be surprised because isn't uh, Huey in the comic also like Irish or something like that? Like, is oh, he not catch, like right. modeled after Simon Pegg? Yeah. So it like, really, know, really is like yeah. his two, Scottish. He his might be two sp- sides of himself. He's like, there's a sniveling UK guy and like a badass. In every know. UK man, there is a virgin. <laughs> yeah, really? The virgin <laughs> Huey and the Chad, uh, Billy the Butcher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what it is that's the shadow uh to, to, to continue the jordan peterson-esque 
Uh, the, <laughs> thing, like, yeah, that's just Jungian shadow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I was shocked how much I enjoy this. It's one of the few modern shows. I feel like a lot of modern shows, right? People talk about them when they come out, and then you forget about it until it's announced that uh, it's up on the streaming service. This is like one of the few shows where I feel like it's an old show and that when it ended, I'm like, I can't wait for it to come back. And I actually think about it when it's not airing. Like I periodically check. Uh, so is it coming back soon yet or, or what? <laughs> yeah. A lot of shows like now I feel like are made to be consumed, talked about on social media for like a week and you just forget about it. Yes. No, there's there's a hyper demand. I think about that a lot because, um, especially in terms of like, I've been wanting to make YouTube videos, which are fun. I like making them, but I'm like, I see these other people, and it's like, boom, boom, boom. Next episode of Wandavision's out. Better make a thing about how Wandavision portrays trauma like nothing else. <laughs> boom. Like it's so fast, and it's like, I, I don't know, man. Like. Um, I feel, and I do kind of feel like, I mean, obviously, you know, the creators are just being human. They're just making sure that, you know, they're able to kind of, you know, get clicks and stuff. But I do on some very cynical level feel like you're correct where these shows are designed to be consumed very quickly. Everyone uses a hashtag and there's, you know, on hashtag whatever Thor and there's a hammer emoji if you put hashtag Thor and everyone (laughs) rapidly makes like YouTube videos like, you know, ending of Thor explained. It's like, I don't know, he killed Thanos. Like, why do you, why is this video an hour long? And I do kind of feel like stuff now has been very much designed to make it so, you know, you know, not only are you consuming, but you're also very frantically purging, like you're in some Roman emporium or something. (laughs) Yeah. And you count up Easter eggs and mix it in with a recap. (laughs) Right. And that's supposed to count as reviewing now. Like, like you're not actually supposed to review anything because if you review anything, you might risk saying something bad. And God forbid, yeah. Right. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I agree. You're just supposed to notice like Easter eggs. It's not good to 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 do an opinion. It's just good to like provide information about the the content that we all, of course, love. Yeah, and the opinion's only valid if it's to to the extent that you are allowed to give an opinion it has to be a positive one. You yes, know, like, correct. Oh my God, uh, what, what did that woman say? That's the sound of every screenwriter uh, trying a collect- <laughs> what is. A collective I forgot what it was God. called, but I was. What is what is pee pee but poo poo defer? Like. Yeah, there was the WandaVision lady who was like, that's the sound of every screenwriter like losing their shit. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, probably. Actually, that person was probably right because screenwriters are fucking morons. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think it's very important to kind of note that the screenwriters of Casablanca or, you know, old movies like that are a totally different beast than the Sid Field, you know, storytelling guru attending you yes. know uh, hero's journey christopher vogler studying screenwriter of today where it's just basically mad libs like, give me a hero's journey mad libs and i'll just fill in the um like a perfect example of this was david goyer had a show called uh da vinci's ashes or something and i didn't see it but i read his interviews and he was just saying stuff like yeah so um and he just was talking hero's journey. He was like, "Yeah, there's like so- there's lots of character development, um, stuff like that." Well, no, no. What he what he was saying was actually worse. He was saying stuff like, "Yeah, so um, he needed an Obi Wan, so I made this real life guy, uh, Da Vinci's Obi Wan, and then I made this guy's <laughs> Darth Vader." And I was like, "This is Man. actually a good thing to just admit that you just <laughs> plug and play uh, Star Wars hero's journey as uh, this show." And 
it was so normalized. He didn't even realize like it was maybe something that he shouldn't say. He was he blatantly said <laughs> that he he named every single Star Wars hero's journey character, you know. And then he was saying stuff like, "Yeah, so Da Vinci needs his call to adventure." So that's why I had this happen the first season. I just find that really interesting. That's what screenwriting is now. I think a lot. I think a lot of honored screenwriters to me are a little bit more like executives. Like it's executives who should be so obsessed with a how-to book on how to write a screenplay and all this kind of shit. You know what I mean? Like. That's a good I you fucking know. no, I fucking hate this shit because John Milius, my personal problematic fave, <laughs> has interviews where he says, I don't know about arcs and shit. I just write cool stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why he is undefeated. Yeah. You know, when when Lucas, you know, was talking about the hero's journey, he was just talking about like an interesting way to 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 write a movie. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he took the hero's journey and he was trying to write like a big sort of epic myth. You know what I mean? And so now for it to become that's one like, type of story. That's one yeah. type of yeah, story. Exactly. And now it's like the yes. Bible for every fucking save the cat reading, you know, Northwestern graduate, you know, executive screenwriter, you know. Oh, save the cat was the one I was thinking of. I was it's awful. Up- yeah, yes. I was bringing up John, outdated John, Sid Field, but yeah, yeah. Uh, Save the Cat is the current one. Uh, you were saying, yes. Emma? No, no, I was saying, like, I think it was John Olson or he retweeted someone who wrote it. And this screenwriter's like, Save the Cat is fucking garbage. That guy wrote two movies that both bombed. Why yeah, is guy anyone blank, listening to his motherfucker? The guy Blake Snyder wrote Blank Check, you know, <laughs> yes. like the movie about like a teenager getting access to a checkbook. You know what I, I mean? I saw like, that movie as a child. And you understand, as a child, you don't have taste. And I remember as a kid being like, <laughs> this is kind of dumb. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it is a bummer that that is, you know, it's like basically shorthand. And, you know, it's one thing for executives to want there to be some kind of dumb formula followed, you know, in every script they write for all also for every actual writer to ascribe to that is is pretty disappointing. You know, something you said about execs, I think is pretty interesting because, you know, it just made me think of there's a guy, Chris. Christopher Vogler and I feel like these people come in steps like you know at one point it was Christopher Vogler then the the it guy was Sid Field then I think Mm -hmm. Robert McKee became the guy and I feel like Blake Snyder took over and he's like kind of the reigning guy but they all kind of build on each other and Christopher Vogler from the story I understand he was an exec who just really liked Star Wars and read about the hero's journey and everything and he was like what if I could just distill this to like a simple 12 step outline. Uh, right. So he was the one that uh, took, took um, Star Wars and Lucas work with Joseph Campbell and says that, Hey, let's make these 12 steps that have to happen in every movie. But the interesting yeah. thing, when I actually read Lucas talk about the hero's journey, he's like way more thoughtful than people give him credit for. Like, oh, you know, of course. He, oh, yeah. yeah, he's very thoughtful. I mean, he's not really great at executing, directing and writing re- human dialogue, but he's a, He's a thoughtful idea idea guy. He's and what's interesting is the hero's journey and Joseph Campbell. That was like an averaging. Like he was saying, like you know, if you take all these stories, this is like an average. Like mm-hmm. it's not that every single story has to have every single step. Some stories might have three steps. Some stories might have all the steps. Some stories might have this and that. And what Vogler yes. thing did was turn it into a set uh, twelve steps that had to happen 
every single story. And if you look at the actual myths that Joseph Campbell writes about, not every myth has all those steps. It was just Obviously. considered mm-hmm. yeah, Of course, yeah. But now, of course, well, I mean, all now these you end up with do. like this weird thing where, like, because Joseph Campbell said the hero like dies and then comes back to life, now there's like a bizarre scene in almost every movie where the hero like pretends to die. Up to in the new Looney Tunes, there's like a bizarre death scene for Bugs Bunny. And then he just shows up alive again. And I'm like, I swear to God, that's like executives reading the hero's journey slash, you know, save the cat and being like, well, no, you need a scene where the main character dies, Uh, even though it's just totally pointless and has no emotional impact and happens like after the fucking game even happens. Truly bizarre stuff. What I also feel, too, is like um, so Lucas, obviously, he's inspired by the hero's journey. But in all the interviews, he's inspired by serials and dog yes. fights. He takes so much inspiration from, yes, all these things in his life. Um, and that's what makes Star Wars so unique. And what I feel so many people do now are just copying Star Wars. And yes. it reminds me of taking a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy. Yes. Like, and when people, and I've had like people I know, like tell me their story ideas and I'm just like, motherfucker, like, you know, you're just like talking about stuff. Star Wars again. And it's just like, have, and, and I, I say this, I'm like, I don't want to judge what like you enjoyed growing up, but there's something to be said about, you know, checking out other movies, reading right. other stories, well, maybe historical events like you doing, find interesting. And also, and also that's, 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 oh, sorry, go on. that's the other interesting no. thing is that I'm like, George Lucas was not inspired by Star Wars. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. George <laughs> Lucas was inspired by like the work of Akira Kurosawa and then like, and by Joseph Campbell. And yes, also by like Schlocky you know flash gourd and stuff i agree with you and one of the things this is something i think about like another problem with sort of modern creatives is i feel like they only take in like pop art and not any like actual art (laughs) you know what i mean i'm guilty of it too but like and i know it's more fun to watch all that stuff but you need to watch other shit to inspire you otherwise you're just going to be writing like like you said a photocopy of star wars no i have i have a coworker who tells me about like the story they're working on and they described a character and they were like he's like joe pesci and goodfellas and they did an (laughs) imitation i was like that's not joe pesci and goodfellas that's the little angry pigeon and animaniacs (laughs) from that show that's a parody of Goodfellas. And I was like, and I asked him, I'm like, have you ever seen Goodfellas? I was nicer about it, but they were like, no, I just thought this thing was funny. I'm like, it would behoove you to watch Goodfellas. (laughs) If you're so insistent, this character is an homage to Joe Pesci's from Goodfellas. Or just write the character as a character with an actual goal and not just there to be uh, an analog to a character you clearly... Don't even have it'd be one thing if you watch Goodfellas because then you could say, Oh, something about that character's arc or motivation really spoke to me and I want to have a character the same arc. But if he's getting it from like, you know, parodies of Goodfellas and he never actually watched the thing, then why does he even need it? Like he just thinks, hey, this is a voice everyone's gonna recognize. Like it's just there right. to be recognized, yeah. <laughs> you know, which is I think one of the worst trends. I think Family Guy kind of really took that to the next mm-hmm. level of recognition is its own uh reward. Yeah. 
I mean, it, I mean, uh, like I said, I say what you will about red leather media, but like one of my favorite things ever is them talking about Star Wars Rogue One and just going, I clapped when I saw it. Because <laughs> that to me just encompasses everything now about how we consume media. Like, like I was saying about like when we were, when, when we did uh, the Suicide Squad, it's like we don't really design for stories anymore. We design so when Taika Waititi makes a cameo or two Chewbacca shows up, the, you know, there's a pause. Is the, eh, it's Chewbacca played by Taika We've got so far from the boys, but I think we have to mention, since we were talking about this, the Spider-Man trailer where the upshot is nothing else but the fact that uh, Alfred Molina from Doc Ock comes back after 20-something years into the movie with no explanation obviously no reason to be in the movie other than we were like spider-man 2 and they just wanted to put him in there again and, and, and the trailer has no emotional hit for you unless you're nostalgic for spider-man 2 like like right. the trailer that- has in no way in no mind um somebody who does not already know all three iterations of the spider-man movie like you know like if you were just somebody watching this cold you would just be like, yeah. okay, I guess that guy looks cool. Like, you know, but <laughs> it's so clear the way that they're putting it. You're supposed to be like, oh, shit. It's supposed to be like an oh, shit uh, moment. I think in addition to like just recognizing things, you're also supposed to recognize story beats from like Star Wars. So even Abrams, and I actually um, think this will tie in back to the boys, but Abrams, um, when he got Star Trek, he just made it into Star Wars. Like suddenly, yeah. Uh, mm. Captain Kirk is a chosen one. That's another misinterpretation from the whole um, from the whole hero's journey dumbing down is that the hero has to always be a chosen one now. You yep. can't just be a dumb fuck who fell into this thing. And because it's something called a refusal to the call to adventure, right. uh, the same way that you were saying that they always have to overdo um, certain elements now and have a death scene, they always have to overdo that the hero is a reluctant hero. Like they really yes, the refusal it. is yeah. always yeah. so long yeah. and so boring and obvious. Too. Yeah. Yeah. And to the point that you don't even like the person by the time they finally, like for example, the, the green lantern movie with Ryan Reynolds, the guy was such a dick about not being a hero <laughs> for the whole movie that by the time he becomes a hero, I was like, fuck you. Like it took you this long <laughs> to do it. You were a dick the whole time. Like, um, now we're supposed to be so happy that you finally accepted this, Destiny, you haven't shown me any reason why you even deserve <laughs> deserve to be the chosen one. You're just a giant entitled uh, dick. And they did that, too, with um, the Chris Pine Kirk, where it's like he just doesn't want to be a captain the whole time. Right. And by the end, he's like, we just really need you. You're just so awesome. Just become the captain. <laughs> okay, assholes, I'll become Please. the captain. <laughs> just, just give me a ship for my first time out. You know, also yeah, like like um old old Spock showing up and being like, oh, you know, like you're you're supposed to be really cool and be, yeah. be Captain Kirk. <laughs> He's like, yeah, okay. you're yeah, you're a much better captain than I ever could be. So please, <laughs> like, just own me really quickly. Uh, I'm, I'm stupid. It's so weird. Like, yeah. why can't you just like make Kirk the captain? Yeah, because you have to go through the hero's journey, and you can't just do a Star Trek movie, which is just has a very like just has a very straightforward plot where. You meet the where the characters are already set, 
but they have to solve some problem that makes them question their morals, their commitment to Starfleet, or makes us question as viewers. Instead, it has to be an origin story for why we call Bones, Bones, etc., etc. Maybe yeah, I just want them to drones. go back in time and save some whales. <laughs> I mean that movie is so. I, we that made kicks ass, actually. That I movie is actually recently. good. It's, I it's love really it. Good. No, I love the voyage home. It's like, so good. And there's I no girl's so journey. It, as it, I, I thought it was so stupid as a kid, and I watch it now. I was like, no, actually, this is better. Than this new it's movie. also the most accurate portrayal of San Francisco. Just like everyone, just like cussing out Kirk for no reason and stuff, <laughs> and and uh, Chekhov being institutionalized against his will. Like uh, very, very accurate. Most accurate portrayal of san francisco i feel like the way this ties into the boys is that the boys <laughs> i feel like does not tie does not rely on a lot of these tropes it isn't a lot relying the edgelord um gen x tropes that you know garth ennis had but it didn't fix it by just turning it into a generic um easter egg hunt slash hero's journey thing it just told i, I think it did what emma was talking about like let's just tell a good story that's thoughtful Mm. And it works. Yeah, I think so, too. And I also think that The Boys does an interesting thing of um, just having something to say about the real world that we live in. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's a flaw that I see with so many of the superhero movies is that, like, there's nothing really being said by these movies other than, like, man, wouldn't it be scary if, like, Iron Man, like, lost the this fight? You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. The Boys actually does have things to say about, like, fascism and capitalism and, like, late-stage America. You know what I mean? Like, it, it so many of these, these superhero movies feel like, you know, you're you're being you're like putting your head in the sand or something like that. And and the boys very much is like, no, look directly into the sun. Yeah. Or, or a lot of these new superhero movies are trying to use as inspiration an older thing that yeah. that was doing what you said, which is did have something to say about the world. Then it misinterprets what it had to say about the world and then produces like crap. So, for example, like I feel like uh, Lindelof's um, Watchmen is based on something that has something to say about the real world. And then when Lindelof gets it, he just fills in a bunch of woke social media tropes about the real world and substitutes that for insight. So it's like, hey, um, don't we need more representation by like, you know, people of color? Yeah. Don't white guys suck? Hey, isn't white supremacy bad? Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. There we go. That's what I had to say. It's, it's nothing hard fought that I learned through my life. It's right. just, I just looked online at what the woke kids were saying and I just put it in here for them. And that's my real world analysis. Well, so much of these like Marvel franchises especially are very set in, oh, maybe there's corruption, but when there's good people in charge, it's okay. And that is one thing I really like about The Boys, which is it never says that. Yeah. Ever. Even with kind of like good superheroes like Starlight, there is no implication at all that if Starlight and Huey take over, um, Vo was it Vox? I haven't, I haven't watched the show in a bit. Vogue? Wagner? Um, <laughs> Void. Void, Void. yes. Yeah, so Void. there's no implication like, oh, if they take over Void, the superheroes will be good. It's a show about corruption. And like I said, given all these other fucking shows, like, look, I didn't watch Captain America and Winter Soldier. 
but I watched a YouTube critique of it. And doesn't <laughs> at the very end, um, Falcon just basically like hug some poor like black man who was a victim of, you know, um, an allegory for the Tuscany experiments. And that makes everything same, okay. I think I saw the same video. Yeah. I'm, I'm like you. I didn't see the, yeah. the main thing, but I saw um, a video and that definitely did happen in the YouTube essay. Okay, yeah. So it's like, you know, it's like, oh, that makes it okay. And you will never see that in the boys. It's cynical, but not in a misanthropistic, like, edgelord kind of yes. way. And I love that cynicism about it. Yeah, it, it's cynical with a point, which I which mm. I really like. Uh, what, yeah, it's, it, not, it's not so much like this kind of everybody sucks, like, like fuck you for believing anything kind of. Yeah. It's more like yeah. the powerful it's more just stuff, like, the people with power. Yeah. Stuff. Yes. Rich people, powerful people, like they all suck and they're trying to literally kill you. Yeah, mm. and that's just a teenage boy way of looking at the world. I think that's the problem with uh, Ennis in general is that I think he's talented as a writer, but he needs to shed that whatever teenage boy demons he's he's working with you know i I think he's trying to grapple with teenage boy problems but with the puerile attitude of a teenage boy not with the uh maturity of an adult looking back on that so it's just it's just kind of tough but you know you you brought up starlight i thought that's a great example like um ennis you know has his you know kind of uh sexist misogynistic take on starlight which is very debased and it's kind of yeah Uh, uh, just someone that things happen to and i feel like there could have been a big temptation to quote unquote correct it by having her be too perfect too you go girl too um lean in feminism where it's like they ask her to give them blowjob he asked her to give a blowjob and and she's like "Uh uh-uh not me you know i guess she haven't got, got the memo about feminism like i like that she's flawed enough that she um you know, because she's worried about being a failure and stuff, uh, she doesn't actually get like physically forced into doing it. She sure agrees to do it, you know, for the wrong reasons, but it doesn't negate that she was still taken advantage of. And well, it's coerced, you know, like yeah. which, I, which yeah. I feel like is so much more. It's, it just feels strikes me as it's so that scene is so gross and oh no it is you know? and I, yeah. I hate to say like I, I loved it because it's a great I mean, scene it is yeah no but it, it is it's so well done and like I said it's um I, I hate to say relatable but there is kind of a level of that creepy coercion in those industries so it's like well no one's forcing you to do this we're just saying don't you want to be a part of the team and you're right which is um in in that version of the ennis one it's just really gross it's almost played for laughs you know it's just like it's just very like just sort of gross and disgusting and kind of cringe and the idea is you're supposed to laugh at starlight like haha how dare this naive christian girl show up you know right now she's gonna get raped yeah exactly very gross like, and, like she, she had it coming for being a yeah, Christian, right? Girl. Yeah, she had it come for being Christian, I guess, and yeah. um, you know, being want to be a superhero. And uh, you know, you're absolutely correct, which is like they keep the scene in, and it's still very like upsetting and creepy, but it's also highly sympathetic. It makes her an incredibly relatable character, and it never still like really compromises who Starlight is. Um, her and Huey are very kind of boring. They're very much a breeding pair setup, but I think Starlight in her own individual character and the struggle she has to deal with where she did want to be a superhero, make the world a better place, and turns out <laughs> everything kind of sucks. Yeah, um, they would either, really dark. They would either have made her like, you know, overcompensate with like, you know, woke feminism and had her like you know maybe like beat them all up or tell them off and you know embarrass them or something or whatever or they would have had it like 
she did not agree to it at all. There was no gray area. And she was maybe like, you know, totally forcefully uh, raped. And she's traumatized for the whole thing like Jessica Jones. That's the other thing they like now is to just dwell on trauma. Like this person is just, we're going to just see them mope uh, for like, 12 episodes and I, I like that they didn't go either one of those extremes they didn't keep it edgelordy but they didn't make it like um, Pollyanna-ish woke and they didn't make it like wallow in misery we're gonna have a lot of graphic trauma and you know make the audience feel miserable for like you know the whole the whole thing like it's it's such an exercise in restraint and nuance that I just didn't think were was possible anymore either both because it's based on something that was from the 2000 Edgelord days. That's number one. And number two, because it's being made in a climate of like the most annoying woke people trying to do correctives to the 2000s, you know, and it avoided both traps. I really impressed with it for that. Yeah, I was going to say, especially with that scene, you know, with, with Starlight coming in, I, I, I felt like that was so much more of like a realistic portrayal. Um, and, and it also makes, um, who's the, the fish guy again? What's oh, the, the deep. The, yeah. The deep. It makes him so much more like vile and also pathetic. You know what I mean? Like, especially as the series continues, he almost becomes like kind of the punching bag, you know, as the series goes on. But, you know, there is a version of this where it could have been played like very violent and him pushing her head down and everything like that. But this just strikes as more real. Um, and, and yeah, just um, just strikes as 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 feeling like what happens in in, in real life. It's incredible that they make him sympathetic eventually they without, do. without ever negating his vileness. And that, that's something I love going back is um, all these characters in the seven could have just been like evil cartoon, Ramsey Snow, like, you know, yeah. rape monster motherfuckers. And they could have just done that. And we still probably would have all been like, oh, the boys is pretty good. And to give all these characters, even the most reprehensible ones like the deep and give them character arcs and everything. Um, and even to a level, like give them sympathy, you know, um, I think is good. Also like, and that's funny. Cause I remember watching the first episode being like, Oh God, the deep son of a bitch. I hit him with my life. And every time after that, when he came on screen, I was delighted because I'm sorry. I laughed so hard every time. Like there's violence against animals in relation to him. <laughs> like that whale scene killed me. Yeah, like was, seriously, I don't, I don't know. If- <laughs> so funny. The supermarket one I like too, where he was trying yeah, to, to rescue. Yeah. Oh, and the dolphin. No, every time the deep shows up for marine animal, you know it's going to meet a terrible demise, and you laugh. Like there's a delightful, like I said, I think there's a lovely line between like edge lord humor and just kind of dark humor. And yeah, I find exactly. the dark humor if, very delightful. <laughs> if it was Ennis, the dolphin would have died from um, the deep penetrating it or something anally. Yeah, or something yeah, like that. yeah. Um, I had another thought, but I drew a blank on it. But um, yeah, I forgot what I forgot what I was gonna say. Not the most professional podcast behavior. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love the show. I do think, especially in the second season and the addition of the Stormfront character, you know, it really front lines. And, and I actually really appreciate in the boys um, that they they don't, there is not a lot of subtlety. And I like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> I really like, especially in the second season of the boys, that it's like, this is a Nazi thing. You know what I mean? Like they're like Stormfront is very explicit about like we're trying to create like 
a like an ethno state for white people. <laughs> and like that's exactly what we're trying to do here. There's no cuteness about it. There's no like, you know, uh, is this that or is it the other thing? Like this show is very explicitly saying like corporations um, and, you know, uh, and the military and everything are like trying to create an ethno state. <laughs> but, but, but you know what's crazy? And this is happening in America. You know what's crazy? It's not subtle, but in a way it kind of is because in this climate, it could be so much more unsubtle, but in the wrong ways. And what I mean right. by that is she's a white lady. And right now in woke circles, it's like the Karen discourse I think it's kind of overcorrected. So a white lady as the face of white supremacy, there are so many peep creatives out there now who would have so leaned into this horrible Karen stuff, you know, and there might have been like, you know, somebody saying, uh, it's always you white women, like, you know, or, <laughs> or something like that. Or like, you know, she would have to talk to somebody's manager or something like that. <laughs> they would have a lot of heavy handed, like uh, really bad rip from Twitter type of uh, social justice tropes. And I'm really right, glad right. that they had this white woman as the face of Nazism in a way that they didn't like uh, just get corny with it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. She's, she's just is, she, she was very well played. And I, I think the Stormfront character was, was really very good. I also do like that. They do kind of lean into the wokeness where she kind of rolls up and is like, man, you know, like, you know, I wish our costumes had pockets. <laughs> Yes, I think it is yeah. funny that she she leans into the like, hey, isn't it time for the ladies? You know, home, uh, uh, you know, Homelander is his own thing, but I've got my. And she also like leans into the social media of it all, which mm -hmm. is fun. Yeah, I think that's great because normally the woke people in the social media would have been presented as a corrective to her to, <laughs> to her Homelander, uh, yeah, tr to her Trumpness or Nazis, as in like you know, uh, it's the social justice. Uh, people in story who are the ones who are like you know the answer like maybe the heroes would have uh, used social media to expose her and you yeah know, all this stuff which I think you know might have happened but I think what I like about how they did it is they showed that um, wokeness and social media can be co-opted by um, white supremacists just as much as uh, used by by woke people I mean, I mean by by well-meaning people like like I thought it was cool that she was using a lot of uh, superficial progressive ideas as a way i think that's something that capitalism and white supremacy is very very good at it can take even like the best or most well-meaning uh, uh tropes and social justice ideas and find a way to make it serve capitalism and and misogyny and sexism and homophobia etc take your pick and they do such a good job at that. And going back to like, kind of like, you know, like woke social media, one of my favorite scenes is uh, when Maeve's is when Maeve is uh, outed, you know, as having a girlfriend and her meeting with the social media oh, yeah. team trying to rebrand so her, you know, <laughs> and, and it's so good. <laughs> it's one of my favorite scenes. You know, speaking of forgettability, I, I haven't watched the thing, but to some degree, people still do occasionally bring up WandaVision every now and then uh -huh, someone sure. will bring it up maybe because it got nominated for an Emmy so it's back in people's uh, minds but isn't it crazy how fastly quickly forgotten the two follow-up shows like Captain America and Winter Soldier a lot of people were acting like it was going to be this great meditation on race discourse and they were acting that way throughout as soon as it's gone it's instantly forgotten like it's down a memory hole and Loki even more so it's easy to forget Loki even happened like even when it was on people were barely talking about um, that one, except for in a couple of ridiculous articles here and there. I, I just find it interesting how uh, forgettable 
a lot of this stuff is in a way that the boys I think totally isn't. I actually plan to rewatch it at some point, which I never feel like for any of these other things. Yeah, yeah I, I actually I, started sorry. rewatching it recently, uh, just because Amazon keeps advertising it, even though we've watched it already. And they know that obviously from the algorithm, but they keep advertising it to us like the new season is about to come out. And we started watching, and it's just a good ass show. I remember it was uh, dropping week to week, and I was excited for it week to week to see what was going to happen. And I'm still like anticipating the next season. Like it just is one of the few shows that really has me interested in it as a TV show. As opposed to you know a weekend binge experience. Oh, I didn't I didn't know it was made that way, and that makes a lot of sense. Maybe that's why it's so good because I feel like when they drop shows to binge, you just kind of trust. I mean, that's no guarantee because Falcon and the Winter Soldier and and those shows were um, week by week drops, and I saw how fast those got forgotten. So I mean, it's no guarantee, but I think it definitely helps. Like I rewatched during the pandemic Breaking Bad. And I forgot how fast the first episode moves. And it's because, hey, this is not based on an established IP. So no one's in the tank to just, you know, be patient with it. It's not dropped in one weekend like a binge. So people just end up uh, powering through by momentum. You know, like like they had to hook people who had never had a pre-existing relationship to this show and get them to want to come back for a follow-up appointment the next week. And it really works. And I think this benefits... When you tell me that it was done week by week, it makes a lot of sense because it's written like a show that really wants to give you a full meal every every hour, every um, episode. It's not just trying to be a slow, boring novel uh, disguised right. as a it's TV not, show. It's not, you know, I, I, I agree. I, I think that, you know, I, I like a week-to-week a -week release. Uh, I like to sit in it a little bit and, um, you know, uh, I think that this the binging stuff, I agree with you that I think it, you know, kind of ends up everything feels a lot more disposable um, and that, yeah, people are excited about it kind of for the moment and then it disappears forever. <laughs> the, the, iron, the irony is that the week to week stuff, even as binges works better, like because uh, I watched the boys as a as a binge. But it felt really, really good. And same with same with breaking same with breaking bad. Like I think even if you are gonna make it for a binge, you're better off writing it as if it was weekly because it seems to just Yeah, the work reward better. of the binge is that you don't have to wait the next week for the right. exciting conclusion. That doesn't mean you change how the show is written because what they do is they do the opposite. They write it with the assumption that you're you have ten hours to spare, so there's no reason to hook you from one minute to the other. The whole joy of being able to have every episode of the TV shows you love is that wait, wow, I don't have to wait a week to see this resolution of this big storyline. But they now they just take it as uh wow, you have 13 hours to get through this. And so, so, we're so, just so, gonna wait to make you wait to the very, very end. Yeah, and like we don't even have to bother to have hooks because hey, you're not going anywhere. So who needs like, you know, moment to moment hooks or like cliffhangers? You know, we'll just make it slow and boring and then just reveal a bunch of mysteries at the very last episode. And that's that. Anybody have any um, thoughts about the show that they haven't or the comic they haven't had a chance to? I mean, I'm just looking forward to it coming back. Honestly, I think that there's some great sequences in there. You know, like I said earlier, I just love the Homelander character. Oh, and so that, good. You know, could be such a such a just evil Superman could be such a boring thing. And I think they do it such a good job. I love his weird mommy shit. To be yeah. honest with you, I love his weird mommy shit. And I think that that's such a fun 
And I don't remember if that was in the comic. It feels like it might have been actually, but you know, probably just like handled a lot less weird and a lot more sort of just crass. you know, it's probably very crass. crass. Yeah. I same thing. I'm really excited for season three. Um, Jensen Eccles from Supernatural is going to be in it, and I'm looking at the pro. I'm looking at his uh, character promo shot here, and I guess it's like. You know, their spin on Captain America, which is odd because I feel like half the characters in the show have already been like takes on Captain America. So I'm I'm really excited to see what they're going to do, because I feel like, I don't know, kind of like evil Superman. I'd be like, oh, so be like it's evil Captain America. I'd be like, oh, oh you know, um, but just given how much I've loved the first two seasons, I'm really excited to see where they're going to go with this. Oh, I didn't realize that it's supposed to be that close. It says September 2021 is when they speculate is going to... Oh, so it's really around the corner. Oh, here's something else. The Asian girl, I thought... The Asian woman. She's a woman, sorry. The Asian woman, I thought, was oh, yeah. so much oh, better. Oh, Karen Fukuhara. Yes, yeah, so much rated. better handled than in the in the book. Like, there's some kind oh, of yes. weird yes. racism. I, I skipped ahead to something with a bunch of black people in it, a storyline with that. And, oh, no. <laughs> and it was, really, it was really bad based on my skim. It was really, really horrible. And because um, when I was reading that love sausage thing i was like let me skip ahead to see if anything looks good coming up in this book that will encourage me to just power through love sausage and i saw like the stuff with the black people and some of the the racist stuff with the um uh, asian woman and i was like yeah i'm good stopping at love sausage like it, it looks like it's only gonna get worse going forward and i really like that that was another thing i thought they handled better was i don't know why i'm drawing a blank on on the Asian woman's name, the character. Well, the woman, her, her name in the comic is the woman. Oh, yeah. No, the female, that's the it. Female. It's, it's the female. Yeah. Don't, going back to kind of a, oh, yikes references, it's, it's an homage to a Rudyard Kipling. He says the female of the species is the more deadlier one. That's where her name comes all from. Right. Oh, yeah. And that, song, and that song was made popular again by Austin Powers because I think they put the song oh, yeah. Female of the Species. <laughs> and, I, and I wouldn't be surprised if that was fresh in Ennis's head. Based on when this came out. Yeah, maybe it's an Austin Powers reference uh, and not a, a, a Kipling reference. Yeah, I could totally see that coming from... coming from. Oh, uh, Leslie, did you get a chance to give your final thought? Oh, yeah, I just really enjoyed the show. The comic is... I really don't think it's worth anybody's time. Yeah. But it's shocking how good the TV show turned out. And I really enjoyed it. I think it's probably the best modern... One of the best modern superhero things out there. There's very few that are any good, but the boys is one of them. And he's one of the few people. Uh, the guy behind it, I think, is Eric Kripke or something. Is his name? I think it's Eric something. But he's one of the few people that makes these shows that when you that his post interviews are actually worth watching. Like a lot of times, the post interviews from these these new shows are worse than like athlete interviews after the game, as far as like communicating no no information like it's just like you know uh we wanted to be diverse we wanted to uh talk about this thing happening in the news we wanted to be intersectional we wanted to be um you know feminist and just a bunch of empty stuff like if you compare what lindelof has in his post watchman interviews you know where there's like a million of them and they say nothing and this guy has a a handful that I've read and they're really, really uh, insightful because I had to reread Watchmen to do that Watchmen episode that we did. I think it made it extra evident to me how much like Watchmen, the comic, the boy show is because Watchmen was fresh in my, in my head. And I just like that this guy does not talk that much as far as like being in the press nonstop. But when he does, he has something interesting to say, which is, uh, 
but in a way, it kind of makes it harder for us because when, when you guys came on for Watchmen, I think we went over two hours easy just bashing it. Whereas this one, I feel like <laughs> most of what we had to say is, just, hey, good job. Yeah, I like it. Go yeah, watch really it. Good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I think it's a great place to end it. Thanks, guys, for uh, joining. It was really good. And Thank you for uh, having me. This is yeah, so much fun. Oh, yeah. Emma, I still would like to do um, Mayor of Easttown if you're interested. Yeah, hell yeah. Copaganda, baby. Let's do it. Have you, seen, have you seen Broadchurch? Have you ever seen Broadchurch? No. Um, that's Doctor Who copaganda, though, right? Uh, well, yeah, basically. I think you should watch Broadchurch season one before we um, do this because this show is such... Mayor of Easttown is... It's not even original copaganda. The whole thing is a total ripoff of Broadchurch. I was surprised. Like, like no oh, I'm, hold on. I'm trying to like... I'm going to I'm gonna Google if I can... If there's a place I can uh, legally legally uh, watch it at... <laughs> are you saying legally in scare quotes or are you really going to look for a legal way? I, I try to be... My, 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 my partner is a bit of a goody two-shoes, oh, okay. so... <laughs> He's a holdover. I, I feel like in the, in the arts, that was a very common stance and I feel like everyone's kind of throwing that away. Yeah, yeah no, I'd be, can, I'd be totally down to pick up Rod Church. Yeah, yeah. And I think this the first season is pretty, pretty It's like short. a British show also. It's like three episodes. I'll go through it in no time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think you might as well watch, I guess, the whole series because it goes fast enough. It, it, the first season is pretty good, even though it's propaganda. And then the second season just has like the worst twist imaginable. Then you try to like kind of pull it together by the third season, but it's, uh, it's kind of too late. But... Um, yeah, the first season is all you need to watch. But if you want to watch all three, it'll help. But Broadchurch takes whole like story notes and even the red herrings. Sorry, sorry. Um, Mayor of Easttown uh, takes whole cloth, a lot of things from Broadchurch. And even the red herrings it takes is very weird. It even takes the same misdirections. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm down to watch any show about a small town with big secrets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think you'll find it interesting. So thanks, yeah. guys. Uh, look yeah, forward to doing this. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. take Peace. care. Oh, also, if any of you want to come back for anything on the um, upcoming Emmy list, by all means, you're welcome oh, yeah. to. Yeah, well, let me have a look. Okay, cool. All right, oh, yeah. guys, be good. Good talking to you. Talk to you later. Bye. 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 Bye.